All right, let's um, begin, first of all, um, with God's word being our first words, all right? I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to obtain the resurrection of the dead. Not that I've already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken, taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. May I pray. Holy Spirit, give me your wordings, take my history, take my story, Lord, and bring it to how you want to in these minutes, in this time, Lord Jesus. I pray that my words, um, you would water them, you would uh, sprinkle them with your spirit so that you would translate them right where each individual in this room needs it for themselves. Not necessarily the way I intended it, but what you intend for them, Lord. And that it would be life-giving, that it would go beyond this place into other people's lives. Give me the words, giving the wording, Lord Jesus. I give all myself to you, the good, the bad, the ugly, Lord, for you, you to use so the banner may be lifted high of Jesus in this church and in this greater Cincinnati community. Amen. Thank you for the invitation to be here. I love to share the good news, and this certainly is a topic that isn't talked much, nearly enough, perhaps, in church. Um, in, being in this ministry for 30 years, I've seen a lot of dynamics in the church and our culture, culture pass through us. And um, in the beginning years, homosexuality was always very much delivered in a very negative connotation, meaning always associated with sodomite, hell, abomination, ship them off to California, hope it blows into the ocean, that kind of thing, just the no, no, no side of it. Um, which is a side of the gospel. You know, the bad news that we're sinners is the good news. We have to own that we're yucks. We have to own that we're sinners. That's kind of bad news, but it's the, it leads to the good news. It's the same thing, but the church at times has failed to share the other side of it, the redemption, the transformation, um, the forgiveness, um, the change, the healing that comes through a dynamic relationship with Jesus and his body. So I appreciate um, Westchester Nazarene for inviting me and allowing me to share my story and talk. And that's what it is tonight. It's just me sharing my story. Um, let's see. I want to start off that um, I'm a human and I'm a sinner. Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and this is the way it came to all. Sin came into the world and contaminated everything, from the weather to our relationships to our thinking to our bodies. It contaminated everything. So I was born into this world with a sin orientation, and no one gets in this world without that sin orientation. I was contaminated with that. My family. I was the um, fourth of five children, I have three older brothers, then myself was born, and then I have a sister born after me. Raised Roman Catholic, um, a very faithful family, not necessarily at all a personal relationship with Jesus, but more of a, 
liturgical, religious obligation, but I had a faith in God, a, a knowledge about God. Um, my parents had a good marriage, never a threat of divorce, an insecurity of that, no violence. There was no smoking, no drinking in the family, just a good Catholic community and a good Catholic family, which I'm very, very grateful for my mother and my father and the, the ethics of morality, of work, of family that they, they gave to me and my siblings. Some of my first memories to illustrate the beginning of my gender confusion and my sexuality confusion. I'm about eight or nine years old, and um, there's a bulletin board in our basement, and it's probably, oh gosh, I don't know, that TV screen there, twice the size of that TV screen there, full of my brother's and my dad's team pictures, trophies, plaques, and ribbons. And I had nothing on the board. And I remember staring it up as, as a young kid and saying, is this what I'm supposed to do? Is this what I have to do? I don't know how to do this. Is someone going to teach me? But I don't even want to do this. This looks stupid to me. But is this what it means to be a man and a boy? Is this what I should do? Confusion, confusion. All these questions um, started ruminating in with me about this is what it means to boy. This is how I think and feel. How do I get to that? I don't know how. I don't even want to. Who's going to tame to? All this confusion that goes in. Another memory shortly thereafter that I'm um, sitting in, uh, on my bed in my bedroom and I'm crying. And I'm saying this prayer to God. God, it seems like I have everything it takes to be a girl and nothing it takes to be a boy. Please change me into a girl. Well, I woke up the next morning and I was still a boy. And believe you me, I prayed with every cell in my body and every ounce of faith, fully knowing and trusting that God could do that prayer if I asked him. I woke up the next morning and I was still a boy. So I said to myself, okay, God wants me to be a boy, but I don't know how to be a boy. I like to highlight that place a little bit because that's what I say is my and that's, this is simplified, but my excursion through gender identity, that at that moment, that morning when I woke up and I was still a boy, I had a choice to accept, okay, God wants me to be a boy, or I could have said, you're wrong. And I could have went a totally different path with the, the, the struggle in my masculinity and my maleness and what it meant to be a boy and it went to my gender self, I could have said, again, God is wrong, and I'm, gonna, I'm more comfortable going this path. I don't know how to be a boy. Blah, 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 blah. This girl path seems more comfortable and fitting to me. But at that point, by the grace of God, I owned I'm to be a boy, but I didn't know how to be a boy. So it was settled in my gender identity, but not in my sexuality and my masculine man, um, uh, boyish maleness. Um, this struggle, as these things illustrate, was this continual um, kind of questioning my adequacy, feeling less than, feeling not enough, feeling lost, feeling disconnected in relationship with my, my father and my brothers primarily, because they were the first example of boy and man, and then it began to move into my peers that there was also this sense of, I don't know how to get there. It's so easy for them. Um, I don't know how to do that. that. I don't like to do that. They, they want me to do this. Just this continued on at this very early age. Then at the age of 11, 
um, I was molested by a neighborhood boy who exemplified to me and to other boys this masculinity that was something that I was supposed to obtain and all men were supposed to be obtaining, this, this masculinity of sorts. And this is the person that molested me repeatedly. So I was really confused in my head, as you can imagine, as an 11-year-old boy with my adequacy and where do I fit and how do I get there. So it, it added to some confusion, but it also started to make sense parts of me that says, oh, this is how I fit in with boys. This is my place with boys. This is how I'm to be in relationship with boys. This is how they connect with me and I'm to connect with them. But it's done and hidden and dark and shame. So there was also this hidden, suppressed, repressed part of this, but this other part, oh, finally, I know where I fit in with boys, where I fit in with men. Confusion, significant confusion for an 11-year-old boy who probably is just beginning the phase into puberty. Widened then was the chasm between males and myself. Instead of it getting closer, it seemed to widen the chasm when the sexual part of it was brought in. It made me feel more different, more dissimilar than them, but yet a place of connection. I was feminized. My perspective was growing and becoming more real. Interests were different from other boys. My personality was different from all the boys in my family. They were grunters, um, I called them. They just were one-word kind of answers. They didn't talk much. I was very social, very verbal. I was a nurturer. I was a peacemaker. I was a, a team player in the sense that I like to cooperate to get things done versus them, nonverbal. Their way of getting things was destroy or conquer or overpower in order to get what you want. Um, personality differences and interest difference. Then at the males in my family, and then it went over also into the peers. So there was this, again, difference. I followed what I was supposed to do. I obeyed the rules. I was a good golden boy. Um, girls gravitated to me because I was more gentle and more nurturing. They, too, were at the stage of yuck boys. They're dirty and they're loud. I was basically at the same place, too. They're dirty and they're loud. They don't get it. They're not peacemakers. Yuck. You can see this thing starting to form in my heart. Um, and girls, um, I felt comfortable. I, ne I never felt the dread, anxiety, inadequacies, and fears that when I tried to move towards boys, I would feel those things. So I'd say, I don't like feeling those things. I'd go away, and they'd go away when I was with, was with girls. Some real rejection then started. They'd say, sissy, fag, queer, go play with the girls. You don't know how to throw um, a ball. Um, you throw like a girl. Because I was actually assimilating more to girls. I was identifying with them more and more than the boys. So I was getting real rejection, which fueled my further rejection ammunition with them to reject them and say they're bad. The foxes and the grapes. The, you know the fable of the foxes and the grapes? The fable is that the fox was hungry, and there was this arbor, and at the center of the arbor was hanging a cluster of grapes. And the fox jumped for them to try to get them, to try to achieve them, to try to 
quench his hunger, and he jumped higher, and he jumped again, and he willed up enough muster, I can get it, I can do it. And try after try and try until he was exhausted, and he said, ah, they were sour anyway. That was my heart. Trying to achieve this masculinity, try to achieve acceptance, try to achieve affection and affirmation, but met with dissatisfaction. So I said, the heck with it. I'm done with boys. They're awful. They're bad. They're wrong. Contempt started in my heart. Hebrews 12, 15 says, See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no root of bitterness grows up and causes trouble and defiles many. Do you hear that? Long rage the symptoms of the roots of contempt, bitterness, hostility, hatred in my heart building because of my perceptions as well as the real things that I endured and witnessed with a false and broken masculinity and, and good parts to it, not fully, but distressing very much in my side. Went on to high school, dated girls, went to all the proms, went all to the host homecomings, but the romantic and physical attraction just never seemed to blossom. It was just friends. It left at friendship. But at the same time, there was an ambivalence growing into me. Ambivalence means two opposite feelings going on toward the same object. That's ambivalence. Love and hate, you know, someone you love, but you're like, I hate you right now, something like that. Or a food, here, taste this, it's awful. It's kind of like this ambivalence thing. My ambivalence was what I just said, all of that, that confusion, that hatred, that contempt, that bitterness, that judging them, them judging me. But it was also the other side of it was an illustration of me sitting at the kitchen window looking out in the backyard and seeing my brothers and the neighborhood boys playing in the backyard and saying to myself, I wish they'd invite me to play with them. I wish they would teach me. I wish um, they would show me how to do this. I wish they would treat each other, treat me like they treat each other. I wish I had a relationship with them like they had with one another. Envy. Admiration turned into envy, turned into covetousness, turned into idolatry. The bitterness and the admiration began to grow and grow and grow in intensity. So the ambivalence grew toward the same gender and my own self, my own gender self. The femininity that was natural within me, that maybe was from the small boyhood, began to grow and grow as I attached myself to girls and to women as safe and rejected boys and they rejected me. But yet I found this admiration and intensity growing in attraction towards them. At puberty, I like to use this illustration that my heart had homo-emotional needs, just like all of us here, if I can bring this home to you, that um, the holidays, Thanksgiving's coming up, and you husbands and wives will probably enter the room of family and friends in church, and where will you, husband, go primarily? You will go off with the guys. 
And women, you will probably go off with the women, wherever they're at. Or a picnic during the summer. You'll come in with your spouse, girlfriend, or as a single guy, and you'll go to the picnic table with the guys. You, girls, you'll go with the women who are doing whatever, sitting around and talking. Homo-emotional. The need to identify with your own gender. There's a feeling of refreshment. Ah, they get me, I get them. There's this comfortableness and refreshing. Not that I have anything against women, the men, but it's like this refreshment. And the same thing with the women. Ah, you belong here. Ah, yes, I belong here. A refreshment. Not there's anything. Because then you go and you be with the women. Homo-emotional. For me, as you can probably begin to see, there was no, ah, I belong here. Yes, Jerry, you belong here. It was conflictual. It was struggle didn't feel good. That homo-emotional need was unmet. And at puberty, the libido kicks in, which is the pull to connect with someone physically. Get what I'm saying? It's just the pull for physical intimacy, connection. I hear my heart and my psyche going, you know what? This is still a significant need in me, but it's unmet. I'm going to use this sexual pull to try to get these homo-emotional needs met. But at that point, it became homoerotic or homosexual. Now another chasm opens up. Why am I thinking this way towards guys? Oh my gosh, if they knew I was thinking this way towards them, they'd really reject me. Keep this down, keep this hidden. Then I go into high school, I do the proms, do the homecomings, but this conflict was inside of me. I crave affection, affirmation, and attention from males. I'm having romantic and sexual feelings towards them, and I can't make them go away. Joe sends a girl over to me in my early 20s, and she says to me, Joe is gay. He likes you. He wants to know if you're gay. Boom. All of this stuff that I've been dealing inside finally begins to come to my consciousness, and I say, I don't know. That sent me on my first quest. I better find out what's going inside of me before I do something I might regret for the rest of my life. So I told my mother and my father, I need your insurance card to go see a counselor. As you can imagine, terror, fear in their lives. Their son wants to see a counselor. Why? What's going on? Although my mother did notice a change in my behavior and did ask me at one point. Anyway, so... I go to a counselor, a female Jewish psychologist. Not a good match. But nonetheless, I find out I'm a homosexual. Not because she told me, she talked me into it, da-da-da. It was just her asking questions and me coming to my own ownership. I am a homosexual. The reality, this thing, this repression and this suppression that's been gone on, going on is hitting me. And... This thing I had suppressed about these repeated molestations was also coming up in my psyche. So it was as if I was one person, but then there was another person and it was me, and there was another person in me, and they were crashing with me. It was like three people were crashing together that I had no idea that I'd been suppressing and repressing. It was trauma to my psyche, trauma to my soul. I saw a movie at my parents' house. The house was empty. A movie came on. I think it was called Making Love. I think it was one of Charlie's Angels, Kate Jackson. 
and it was about she was married to a man, and the man um, came out to her as I'm homosexual or gay, and the end of the movie was he wound up leaving her and going and being with a man. I wept and I wept and I wept and I wept after that movie. After I got done with the weeping, then I found out what it was about. It was about I was not going to have either of these. I just knew instinctively, somehow, I would never be loved like, by a man like I want to be loved. I would never love a man like I wanted to love one. And I certainly would never be with a female. That just wasn't even in the picture and obvious. Deeper depression sank because the future didn't seem life-giving or hopeful or loving at all. Went on this quest then, gay bars, gay parties, and gay organizations to see what's this gay thing. Because you see, I'm a homosexual. And then the second quest was, am I going to go gay with this? It's quite a jump there. But there's two different things. That's an option to go gay with your same gender, gender attraction. There's many options one can do with their same gender attraction. And that'll be my four-week series. Um, questions for them. What about our bodies? We can make them work, but they really don't. The Bible talks about a husband and a wife, but it never talks about a husband and a husband, how they should treat one another, a wife and wife, how they should treat one another. They didn't have answers or didn't want to talk about it. I saw a lot of lying, a lot of backbiting, a lot of broken relationships, a lot of alcohol and drug abuse, a lot of saying joy and happy, but their lives were miserable, a lot of saying they're free, but they were living secretly. Just didn't like what I saw. And so I thought, okay, not gonna, can't go gay, that's destructive. Never be loved by a man like I want to love a man. Never be, never give. Having children and a wife is not even on the radar. Depression. I went back to my high school to talk to the counselor there that was a deacon in my Catholic high school. He suggested, what do you feel about praying in groups? I'll try anything. I walk into St. Noel's for the first time, and um, like this out here, I don't know what you call this foyer, narthex, I think in the Catholic, I don't know, maybe it's, I call it a narthex in the Catholic Church, so the narthex out here, walked in the first two doors, then I took a step in the sanctuary, and then a second step in the sanctuary, and I heard a voice go off inside of me, you're home, you've been at war, and you're home. Walked over to the back corner of the church where there was a 15 or so people in a Bible study starting it. It was in that Bible study that I met this Jesus as a living person, full of love, full of truth, full of peace, full of answers, full of joy, full of serenity, full of cleanliness and beauty, full of strength and authority full of gentleness and compassion, full of empathy. And I said, I'm a yuck. I need this guy. He is my savior. And it was that point that Jesus became the center of my life. And I offered him my unworthiness and my filth. And he said, I'll take that and you can have me. And he asked me, Jer, will you follow me in a close relationship? And I said, yes. And it was that point that the words came to my mind, Jesus, you're the first man I'm trusting enough not to hurt me that I'm going to let you love me. 
From that point on, Jesus became my reference point to face my fears, my bitternesses, my anger, my hostility, my broken masculinity, discern the broken masculinities out there, put boundaries with women and girls, on and on. At this point, I want to play a song by Phil Joe that I think illustrates a bit of this death and this new life. Because I trusted him, because I began to know his character through his people and through his spirit and his word, I gave him all of my relationships with my brothers, with my parents, with my friends, with women, with girls. I gave him my past. I gave him my future. It was unknown, but I said, it's yours. I gave him my body. I gave him my identity. I gave him my thinking. Every thought was under his scrutiny to change. I gave him my feelings. He, Romans says, 4.17, he is the God who gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they were. Do you hear that? I thought life was one way for me. This, I had it. I had, you know, I knew everything was going, this is what it, no, not that way. Years and time went by. I loved being a single guy. Great guy friends, good friendships with girls. Prodigal ministry started. Three gentlemen, myself, Joe, who had over 500 same-sex sexual partners in his life and was HIV positive, came to Jesus. And Bob, who had several short-term and long-term lover relationships, came to Jesus, received healing and transformation. The three of us met within the Christian community. After not knowing me, knowing no one who had come out of homosexuality, meet these two dudes. We share our stories with one another. We know in a very profound way that there are hundreds and thousands of men and women acquiescing to an identity of behavior and, and feelings because they have no hope of change, particularly transformation that comes through a dynamic relationship with Jesus. So we bowed our heads in prayer and say, what do you want us to do, Jesus? And we heard him say, get a telephone line and start a support group. That was like 30 years ago. 30 years this year. Along that little journey, I met Mia. Her, her brother introduced us. Mia was a curious, pretty little thing. We dated for two years. And then I said to her, Mia, do you think we have enough of what it takes to be married? With a tear running down her face, she said, yes, I do. And I said, well, in the not-too-distant future, I'm going to pop a ring on you, and I hope you'll say yes then. So it did. I proposed to her. About six months later, we were married. Great. Sex is great. Loving relationship. Love, 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 love. Blow my mind what God redeems and restores, what I thought he could not do or was impossible. He calls things that, it, that we thought were not going to be. He calls them into being. Four years after that about, we had our daughter, Corinne Joy, who is the joy of my life. Back to prodigal ministries. Um, that started off with three people. Now we minister to between four and 600 individuals a year. The primary are those with same-gender attractions who are gay, or gay-identified. 
Second population is the loved ones. Those are the moms and dads whose perhaps son or daughter come home from college and says, hey, mom, dad, I'm gay. You can take your church thing and you know what you can do with it, but I'm out of here. Or the spouse that comes home and says, I'm leaving you and the kids. Or it's the grandparents or the girlfriends or the teachers or whatever it may be. The other population we serve are, I call them clinicians and clergy who may have someone that's walking in, going to walk in their office in 15 minutes and they know they're going to talk about help I'm gay, and the pastor's going, tell me what to do. Um, or the clinician who has a client or a loved one. We consult with those individuals. The blog and the website up there on there. In the 30 years, I've been so blessed that not to continue to see God change my life and my, mar- and, and my marriage as a husband and as a father, how he furthers and deepens the healing within me and grows and shows me things that I've never seen before. Um, But in the 30 years, it's been terrific to see prodigal ministries affect it for generations because like myself, individuals who perhaps would be dead or never married, find the healing and the transformation, get married, have children. So I can run into the grocery store, someone that I maybe saw eight years ago when I see them with their two little kids. Bless my heart. Jesus affects life and it keeps on giving and giving and giving. Love and life are synonymous with Jesus. They just give and he grows and he grows. I want God's words, somebody say something over the cough. I want God's words to be the last word. Jesus said to them, with men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. With Jesus anything is possible. Thank you.